We have on the screen, and I know it's very difficult to read, but you'll have on your outline as well um, the selections for the next four weeks for our charitable planning seminars. And um, we're, we're very fortunate here that the people who will be conducting these seminars are really experts in their fields. And uh, they've all committed their time. There's no, uh, there's no payment for their services. Uh, and, and I've... Oh, I guess, I guess some expect payment, but, um, but I've asked all these individuals to not to bring business cards. This isn't a sales promotion. This is really to help our congregation and uh, educate where we can uh, for lifetime stewardship giving. Um, next week, next Sunday night, we're privileged to have Larry Dwyer, who is an estate attorney. He spoke uh, earlier this summer. Uh, here in the congregation, and he will take uh, an hour uh, to present estate planning. Uh, the next week, we will have uh, Scott Kangas, who is an investment advisor. Um, he's going to talk about investments that will ultimately provide income uh, to the church at the death of the owner, too. And uh, so it'll be a, a, a lifetime planning situation with him. Jennifer Gross is a regional speaker with a cemetery company. She goes around the Kansas City region and speaks. And she speaks on death planning, uh, funeral planning, and I think it will be very helpful. And finally, Larry Quigley will speak on life insurance planning. And uh, should there be questions that have come up during the three weeks that precedes this, we'll take some time and answer those questions in the fourth session, too. So that's our agenda, and uh, it promises to be a good one. Uh, on the second page of your outline, we have a sheet, and uh, you'll find that also on the very last page of your outline. Uh, if you have questions, um, if you would be willing to write those down for us, and uh, about midway through, we're going to have a stretch break. If you could bring those questions up and lay them on the desk, then we'll answer them. And uh, that will give us a little chance to uh, think about your questions, too, and make sure we give you the right answer. So tonight, um, we're going to start on page three. And, um, you know, I see a lot of familiar faces here. So I know that um, you all have been involved in charitable giving. I know you've all been generous and uh, have been a part of God's community for a number of years and realized the blessings that come from giving. But um, I wanted to indicate tonight that our purpose is not so much to uh, ask you to, to continue that practice, but really to give you some ideas on how we can multiply uh, the, the giving that you make and the benefits that we derive for it. Because that's not only... Uh, uh, showing God that we are obedient to what he tells us to do, but it's a witness to the, the community and to our neighbors and to our friends as to God's goodness to us. And uh, I think of Joseph and how, his, how God's blessing and his wisdom and his stewardship not only fed the Egyptian people during the famine, but he was able to feed his own estranged family. And what a witness that must have been for him. So um, we, we hope that this will be beneficial to you in the same manner. 
Now, we're, we're starting the seminars on tax-wise giving. So um, I, I know that this can be very uh, something that you don't often think about and study about until just before April 15th. But I want to go back just a little bit and give you the theory and the methodology of the income tax system because I think it will help you understand what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, in front of you now, and this will be on page four, is uh, just a diagram of how the tax system works. If you look at the top, <clears throat> you'll see that the income, the items of income that make up gross income, and that's, of course, the starting point that's uh, going to be reflected on 1099s and W-2s and 1098s. And I remember a college professor saying, if the code, if the IRS code doesn't specifically say it's non-taxable, it's going to be taxable. So this is our starting point. Then we're able to take from it deductions that pertain to business, pertain to IRAs, to health insurance, things that we might expend having to do with our generation of income because they'd be business expenses. And we end up with adjusted gross income. Finally, we can deduct from adjusted gross income itemized deductions. And on your right of that block, you, or that box, you will see what those itemized deductions are. And one of them, of course, is charitable contributions, which we're going to talk about tonight. And then finally, exemptions below that, leaving us with a total or subtotal or grand total of taxable income. Now, if you'll turn to page five, you will see what we call the brackets. And the brackets are all based on taxable income. And if you look at the married file jointly box at the very top, you will see that uh, from income, or I'm sorry, taxable income of zero to 17,000, the tax rate is 10%. But the next bracket up is when your income exceeds 17000 it goes to a 15% rate. Uh, off to the right of that is uh, I've penciled in the Nebraska rates, too, so you can see what those are. But the lowest Nebraska rate would be 2.56%, which when you add that to the federal rate is, of course, 12.56%. That is the lowest tax bracket. Now, uh, what I want to point out is that when your taxable income goes up to the next bracket, doesn't mean that everything is taxed at that higher rate. It's only the portion that exceeds the earlier line here. So if your taxable income went to 17,002, your first 17,001 of income would still be taxed at 12.56%. It's only the $1 that exceeds that bracket that gets taxed at the higher rate, which is 18.57%. That's extremely important because when you look at the benefit of charitable contributions, you can then see that the charitable contributions are coming off the highest bracket. So in the event of 17,002 of income and you have $1 more of charitable contribution, you will get the higher 18.5% uh, 
deduction for that charitable contribution. So quite often, charitable contributions are a way to get you down to the lower tax bracket. hope that makes sense. does to accountants, I know. <laughs> okay, with that, I'm going to ask a couple gentlemen who are experienced tax preparers and who I'm really pleased to have had help with this presentation come up. And um, Wayne Roush is going to help us tonight. Wayne is actually a, has been a minister and then uh, is now a tax preparer. And I'm just hoping that when you know that, maybe that'll elevate in your eyes a little bit the uh, position of taxpayers. So you'll give us a little break here tonight. <laughs> but I've also asked Wayne if he would lead us in prayer this evening before we start or before we go any further. Wayne? Sure. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, um, you told us to be... Uh, wise in the things of the world, and to be harmless like doves, to be those humble individuals who are able to represent you well. And as we think about taxes, that doesn't seem very Christian, but it is the uh, world that we operate in, and uh, we really, to be good stewards, we need to understand it. So I would ask that your spirit would give us an enablement and bless us with understanding um, that the things that are just about as murky and confusing as it possibly seems it can be, you would allow us to see it in a simple, straightforward manner. And I just ask your blessing to be upon this time. And I pray this in your name, Lord, and the power of your blood, Jesus. Amen. Okay. As... Um, Dave said, uh, we're all literally certified tax preparers. The IRS has got new standards. Um, I'm actually questioning whether I really want to do it anymore. <laughs> uh, but um, the IRS is looking at tax preparers, and they're making a lot of requirements they didn't used to make. So that means that your aunt, who's always done your taxes, can't do them for you anymore. Uh, this is what the IRS is heading for. Uh, there's lots of training that's required. Uh, Dave asked me to share about what is charitable giving. And like he said, that uh, charitable deductions don't become something you concern yourself about unless you are doing itemized deductions. Uh, if you're doing a standard deduction, Uncle Sam in his wisdom has figured out how it fits in and just doesn't mention it. And the other thing that I would like to warn you about uh, with the IRS these days, uh, in one of my notes, it talked about they figure they lose about $13 billion a year to fraudulent charitable deductions that are claimed. Uh, so they pay attention to that. And as Dave and I were talking earlier, if uh, one of the first things the IRS now assigns their field agents is to audit charitable giving. The computer identifies charitable giving, spits it out, and um, then they're off and running. If they find that you are fraudulent, you don't have uh, records to back up what you claim in the event of an audit, and I hope that wouldn't happen, but uh, if you don't have the records, then they start looking at other things. But usually, like Dave said, people who have charitable giving are generous people and are honest people, and um, enough said about that, but just to, uh, to warn you. Definition of a charitable deduction. A charitable contribution is one made only to a qualified organization, 
one that is not set aside for use by a specific person. Generally, a qualifying organization includes uh, the government. Are we surprised? You can donate to the government. Uh, certain corporations, trusts, community chest fund, or foundations, that would be like the uh, NPR Foundation when you give your uh, donation to help keep them on the air, help keep Big Bird from becoming uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, uh, war veterans groups, fraternal lodges, societies, orders with certain limitations, nonprofit cemetery companies, and you mentioned the lady who would be coming, uh, foreign country contributions that are covered under international treaties, and you can go to the IRS government and you want to look up Pub 78, and it'll give you a cumulative list of all of the charitable organizations that qualify. And to be that kind of organization, you have to have filed and been approved with the IRS. Uh, you can't just uh, say, well, I will give just a bunch of stuff uh, to this person because they need it and try and claim that because the IRS won't accept that. It has to be funneled through a charitable organization and not uh, with the intent of uh, blessing a particular individual. Now, with our, I think about our missionaries, and because our church does missionaries, there's a missions committee that takes care of that, and that fits the parameter. They're not treated as a charitable deduction in their own right. Okay, the general rules for governing uh, charitable contributions... Uh, for cash contributions, taxpayers must have a statement from the charity, also known as the Donee Organization, that's IRS speak, uh, showing the name of the charity, the date of the contribution, and the amount given. Alternatively, a taxpayer can have a bank record of the contribution. Uh, credit card holders may deduct a uh, credit card company's contribution of rebates on purchases. Uh, you can donate those toward a charity sometimes. A letter from the charity is required for a sub substantiation of the gift. In other words, when we do taxes, I want to see the letter from uh, whoever you gave the, or the money to, uh, showing that they are a, uh, an organization that can receive that. Uh, that was for a cash contribution. For a non-cash contribution, Deductions may be taken for donations of used clothing and household items that are in good used condition or better. Art collectibles and other non-household items are not subject to this rule. And please notice, the government does not define what good is. Pardon? <laughs> okay. When to claim the uh, charitable deduction, the tax year payment rules. They're actually pretty simple, but this, the definitions cover everything. Uh, in a nutshell, the year that you made the donation, the tax year you made the donation, is the one you can claim. So if you're thinking you want to do a donation a year from now, but you want to claim it this year, you can't do that. Um, and they go on to say the checks, the date that it's mailed, uh, credit card, the date the charge is made, pay-by-phone account, the date the financial institution pays the account, the promissory note, the date that the note is paid, borrowed funds, date when contribution is made, and uh, deduct a uh, contribution only the year that it's given. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. So that means that you can't backtrack to five years for a donation you made and try to update it, that kind of thing. More people would want to do that. Uh, substantiation requirements. Um, payroll, your pay stub will uh, substantiate it if you're giving to something like an organization, United Way, or some other group that uh, fits the parameters. 
the W-2 or other pay employer issued written record, uh, cash donations of less than $250, a bank record or receipt from the charity, uh, for individual contributions of $250 or more, cash or non-cash, and out-of-pocket expense for the charitable purposes requires. Uh, written acknowledgement from the donee organization with the donee's name and address and containing the following. Amount and description of cash and or property contributed, date and location of contribution. Um, it also must be obtained the earlier of the date return is filed or uh, due date of the return, including extensions. Uh, in other words, you have to have it before you file your return is the simplest way of putting that. Now, you can deduct out-of-pocket expense. Uh, uh, you need to maintain adequate records to prove the amount, uh, obtain acknowledgement from the donor organization with preceding information plus a description of the services provided. Uh, that's for out-of-pocket expense. It's cash. Non-cash donations, a receipt showing name, organization, date, address, and description of donated property. Now, I think that the out-of-pocket uh, expenses is kind of confusing. I want to use my brother-in-law as an example um, just because he springs to mind, and I think he's very good. He likes to help with Habitat for Humanity. Um, often the uh, orders for the mil materials to build a house don't show up. And he will go out of pocket and uh, go to the lumber yard and buy the materials they need. Uh, he never asks for any uh, repayment. This is just his thing. But if he wanted, he could require Habitat for Humanity to issue him a receipt saying that these items were purchased and used in the pr production of one of our buildings. Um, he could even count the mileage, as a matter of fact, as long as it's been notated. And uh, he would be able to count it for that tax year. Does that help clarify that a little bit? I know it's, I know it's kind of confusing. Okay. Now, here's, here's the big one. This is where the red flags come up. Number four, determining the value for used clothing, household goods, and personal items. The FMV, unless you're like me and I want to know fair market value, I hate these things where it's initials, and I'm supposed to remember what it is. <laughs> Of the items sold in thrift shops, that's, that's a good place to get an idea of what the thing sells for. Um, uh, resources for evaluation guides include, you can go to a website, Salvation Army uh, has one. Um, we've got a book here that Dave said he's going to what, make available through the church. Um, it's called uh, Money for Your Used Clothing, and inside it, uh, it gives a lot of um, things. Let's see. Women's clothing, shirts and blouses, casual, long-sleeved. If it's in good condition, it's worth $6. If it's in better, better condition, it's worth 14 And they'll break it down as to if it's designer clothing or if it's uh, Walmart-type stuff. Uh, it would be in a book like this. Uh, or you can go with the, uh, what the uh, thrift shop would give. But um, if you write on your... Um, your itemization, I'll get to that in a moment, uh, one bag of shirts, $30. You know, an IRS auditor is just not going to like that. He's going to want or she's going to want to know exactly how many are in there and what their condition was. Actually, he's going to say, well, you don't have any itemization here, but I can't count this. And you really don't want to get them going that way. Um, 
All non-cash donations, uh, regardless of total value, should have an itemized inventory with valuation to accompany the donation letter from the donee. Um, in other words, you should have your own inventory of which, like Liz, with the clothing uh, drive, um, you give us that wonderful little three-by-two receipt that says, I donated 15 bags of clothing. <laughs> um, an IRS auditor is going to have a lot of fun with that, and the way you circumvent that is to say, that's right, I donated that, and they gave me the receipt, and here's my list. If you can present the list at the time they ask for it, they'll be happy, unless their supervisor is wanting to really get on their case. But if you present your own list to correspond with what you gave, um, then you're fine. Because um, usually, I've known people who've been audited, um, if you've got the documentation right when they ask for it, they make the assumption that it's honest. If you say, well, I gotta go home and get my list, they, uh, they'll wanna go to your home and see it right then. <laughs> uh, let's see. That's why I say you want to have a donation letter, just keep it with your records for future reference if you need it. Uh, and what do we have, a three-year window on that kind of stuff, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, they can go back three years. Um, the IRS grinds slow, but when they grind, they really grind. Um, donor organizations are prohibited from establishing the value of donations received. That is the responsibility of the donor. That is, if you come to um, Steve or Dave or myself and say, well, what's this worth? Legally, I'm not allowed to tell you what it would be worth. I could make a recommendation, but you have to decide what it is, the value. That's why you get these receipts that say they donated um, a car or a boat or an airplane or um, a bag of clothing. That's why it's put in such junk, because the charity that's receiving it on non-cash donations does not have the uh, legal authority under the IRS rules to establish value. Um, that's the responsibility of what the donor thinks is, it's worth and what they think will fly in the event of an auditor. I think I'm riding the auditor horse too much, aren't I? Uh, are you nervous? <laughs> Uh, donations made that generate a return gift from a charity, this is important, uh, require the fair market value of the uh, gift, the FMV of the gift, to be deducted from the donation total value. What it's saying here is if, uh, I like NPR because they're a good example, we've got our fund drive, and if you send us a $100 gift, we will send you in return this wonderful set of travel videos. And if the travel videos happen to have a market value of uh, a suggested retail price of $69, you've got to deduct that $69 from uh, the $100. So that means that, what, your gift was really a $31 donation. Um, I don't know how they prove that, to be perfectly honest, but that is the way the code reads. And I think that's all that I have. Wow, I thought it would go longer than that. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Wayne. That was very helpful. And um, I, I just want to indicate that that uh, book that we talked about, Money for Your Clothing, we'll make that available in the church office so that you can just come in and check it out from them and use that for your tax planning. 
So uh, we'll do that as soon as we get a new book. That uh, book is last year's, and we want to get the current values for you. I'd like to introduce uh, Steve Hempel. I've known Steve for a number of years. Uh, he served as an initial elder when uh, this church was founded, and uh, he's an accountant, and uh, I know he's done a lot of tax returns. I think he's got some good information for you. So please come forward, Steve. Well, my topic is uh, the itemized deduction portion uh, on your tax return. And as I look out at you, um, I, I know most of you, and, and you're very active. Uh, and so this has specific application to your volunteer activities. To take the, the charitable deduction, and again, we're talking itemized deductions. There's a threshold that you meet, and then itemized deductions kick in after you meet that threshold. So on the, to be deductible for a charitable deduction, it has to be un, unreimbursed, directly connected to, with the services, expenses incurred only because of the service given, and not personal, living, or family expenses. So what's that mean? Your un, unreimbursed is money out of your your pocket. Um, using Wayne's example uh, with his brother, uh, if you're if you're spending money to support the church, um, that would be a, a deductible expense. Uh, keep your receipts, of course, uh, and. And for our sake, please total them up, and during tax time, bring them in, and, and we'll review them and, and, and come up with the deduction. Um, directly connected with the service. I was, I, the example I usually use is if you're the choir director, and put, your, put yourself in whatever role you're in, the choir director can can deduct or, or accumulate deductions for, let's say that there there's you know an elder meeting and they pr make a presentation before the elders. Their mileage coming into the church and going back home is a deductible expense. IRS is looking for what they call contemporaneous documentation, and that means that when you leave home write down what your mileage is and and then write a little note to yourself that why you incurred that mileage and then when you get back home take your mileage again and write that down that's a contemporaneous record uh, and you could substantiate that in, in Wayne's case to the that dreaded auditor It needs to be directly connected with the service. So using our example, you came to church, you made your presentation, and you went back home. All those are, are expenses that are deductible. As a, again, as our, our choir director, this is a safe thing since we don't have one. Uh, let's say that you left your home and you went to the music store to look for music. Um, that, again, is a deductible item. Keep track of your mileage. If it's out-of-pocket expense and you, you buy the, uh, the sheet music to show Sean, 
uh, that all those out-of-pocket things are deductible. Let's say the church decides to, that it's a good idea. There's a, a convention going on in Houston, uh, and, and they'd like you to go. You know, money's tight with the church. They can't pay for it. But if you would go and, and pay your way, uh, they would certainly benefit by the knowledge that you get while you're at that convention. So the, in that example, your, your mileage, if you, if you drove, or your flight, if you, drove, if you flew down, that would be deductible. The, the hotel stay, the, the, the payment for the convention, all those are deductible expenses. If, by chance, you decided to stay in Houston another day or two and sightsee, those are non-deductible. Those are personal expenses. You can, you know, certainly feel free to take a, a vacation, but um, please don't bring it in because it's not a deductible expense. And the last, last thing is, is the uh, personal living or family expenses. That's pretty self-explanatory. Um, you know, we can't support ourselves uh, and deduct it. In my examples, I, I use car expenses going back and forth. I call these hidden deductions. A lot of our clients are Christian, and, and they don't think of these things. Usually, they're, they're generous people, and, and these are things that, you know, enhance the tax return. Uh, travel expenses, we went over that, and then expenses paid directly or indirectly. In the example of going to a convention, uh, you, could, you could give the church money for your expenses, and that's going through the, and, and let the organization pay for your convention. You know, you may end up with some out-of-pocket expenses during, during that convention, uh, that are deductible, but uh, let's see. That would be the indirect method for for the organization to to front you you front the cost, and then the organization pays for your costs. On B, you cannot deduct contributions to a specific individual. We've been good in church about saying, you know, put write your check to the church and, and put a pasty note on that check to designate to an individual. IRS has gotten a lot stricter with putting uh, the, the name of the individual on the memo of the, the check because when they audit, uh, it raises a red flag. So it looks like we're supporting our kids. Um, you can't do it to a non-qualified individual, and, and you, it's not deductible for a benefit from when you receive a benefit. Another example I've seen is focus on the family uh, has, if you send in, you know, $20, they, they'll give you uh, whatever threshold the nonprofit organization has, $20, $50, and, and they'll send you a gift back. Um, and that gift back is not deductible. The organizations have been good about, or some of them have, 
focus on the family has on on declaring a value and you can only declare the net amount of, of donation that you give. I get this question a lot, number four, your time or service, well, I charge out so many dollars and I've, I've given a ton of time to this organization, so I've given them thousands of dollars worth of donation. Well, the IRS declares your time as worthless, so <laughs> it's not... It's not a deductible item. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty clear with us. Okay. Um, appraisal fees, if you give artwork uh, or an item over $5,000, it needs to be appraised. Uh, a non-cash gift, if you gave an antique car or something like that, you need to have an appraiser give, your, give you uh, an appraisal that you can then give give us when doing the, the tax. The appraisal cost is deductible, but like so many things in the code, yeah, it's deductible, but it's subject to 2% of your adjusted gross income. So you may or may not realize a benefit from that, but bring it in, uh, it's certainly worth looking at. And then you have to give 100% of of what you're giving away. Any partial interest will uh, put limitations on the deduction. A lot of what we're familiar with, uh, there's limits on, on deductions, but what we're familiar with are our churches. Uh, we deal, you know, most of us give to, to um, Lord-related uh, donations and those are 50% limited uh, the, the code has uh, limitations of 50 30 and 20% of, of your adjusted gross income the percent is determined by the type of charitable organization and there's rules for capital gain property internal revenue code uh, defines the limit fifty percent limit organizations. I looked at that this afternoon. It's a couple pages long of very legalese, and just we'll just say it's uh, religious type of organizations. The thirty percent limit organizations are all qualified organizations other than the fifty percent limit organizations, and the the thirty percent limit types are are gifts to veterans organizations fraternal societies nonprofit cemeteries and certain nonprofit private non-operating foundations the the special 30% uh, capital gain property as I put in the outline, uh, relates to the donation of capital gain property, such as real estate securities or artwork. Um, if you have appreciated stock, for instance, that would be limited to 30% of your adjusted gross income to, for your deduction. And if you give that type of property to a 30% type of organization, then only you can deduct up to 20% of your adjusted gross income. 
And this, this rule does not apply if an election is made to reduce the fair market value by the long-term capital gain, uh, for instance, to deduct only the basis of the donated property. What that means is if your stock appreciated and you may get blown out of the water not being able to deduct the full amount because you're limited to the 20% uh, of adjusted gross income, you may go back and and declare elect to just use the amount, your basis in the stock, the amount that you paid for it, and see if that would go through the, not, if, if that would be allowed. I think Dave's gonna cover carryover. Okay. Um, multiple capital gain donations are not cumulative against the 30%. So every gift you give, the, the standard is each gift stands alone. Uh, and it's measured against the 30% the of your adjusted gross income. And the last item, for charitable gifts to non-50% limit organizations, there's a 20% of AGI limit for the capital gain property. I've got their eyes glazed over. Thank you all. I know you're just as excited as I am. It just makes my blood flow. But <laughs> perhaps you'd like to stand for a little break. I know it's pretty boring stuff to you. So if you want to take just five minutes, if you have questions, write them down, and uh, we'll certainly answer them. Uh, and... Uh, uh, if you'll bring them up front to us. So stand up and stretch, and, and uh, we'll finish up here in short order, but uh, I think that would help all of us.
Well, I have a couple more bloopers for you while you're coming back to your seats. Uh, one of the bulletins announced that the low esteem support group would be meeting on Thursday evening. And uh, please use the back door. <laughs> and then another blooper was, for those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. The pastor will preach his farewell message, after which the, the uh, choir will sing, Break Forth Into Joy. <laughs> okay, well, I, I want to take a, a few minutes and go into and reiterate some of the things we've talked about, but also um, carry the uh, donations of non-cash items a little bit further for you. Um, but there are a couple things I'd like to do uh, before I get into that. Number one, the question was raised, if you do have charitable contributions, all of which can't be deducted in one year because of these limitations, do they carry over? And the answer to that is yes. If you make a contribution and, you, and it's in excess of 50% of your adjusted gross income, that will carry forward five years. During that five-year period, you take the current year deductions for that year first, and to the extent that that's less than 50% of your adjusted gross, then you can pull the prior year's deduction in to come up to that 50% level. So it's very unlikely that you're going to lose those deductions. It's just that the, the limit does pertain. Um, most charities are going to have 50% limits. So um, uh, it is unusual that I find a taxpayer who has given more than 50%, except if they're pastors. I do find that quite often. So um, I also wanted to just mention that while you have a, a rate uh, that you can deduct for your charitable mileage with your personal automobile, it's much diminished from the business rate. The business rate's 55 and a half cents a mile. The charitable rate for 2011, 12, and 13 is 14 cents a mile. Barely covers the gasoline, but that is the rate for those future years. Go ahead, Steve. Example, in the example that I used of going on a longer trip, if you, you can deduct your actual expense, so yes. gas being as high as it is, it's in your benefit to keep your gas receipts, and, and then you can substantiate it that way. Yes, thank you. That's a good point. Um, finally, let me uh, talk just once to a question that was raised uh, to give, a, give you an example, and, and we will have some more examples in this last section, but... Uh, let's say you had a person who had a $50,000 annual gross income, and let's say that they made a $2,000 IRA contribution. Um, if you'll remember that chart I showed at the very beginning, that uh, would leave you with an adjusted gross income of $48,000. Uh, 50 percent of that amount, or $24,000, would be then the maximum uh, deduction you could make to a church and have it deductible in that year. So uh, 
that's how we get to that 50% limit. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, I want to touch base, as I said, uh, a little bit more on non-cash contributions. And um, the outline is very technical. We want it to be technical. We want you to have the right information. But when I went through this with my wife last night, uh, I found her nodding off several times. And so I've tried to greatly simplify this, uh, and uh, uh, hopefully I've done that. Um, cash contributions are what most of us are used to. They're easy. I mean, we write a check. The church records it. They send us a copy of what contributions we've made by the end of the year. We can use that for our tax return. And it's certainly very commendable to make those contributions. Uh, from, and it's wise from a financial standpoint because of the deductibility of them. But if I were to rate a cash contribution as a one-star contribution, I would rate a non-cash contribution as a two-star contribution. And the reason for that is several the reasons for that are several. Number one, and the main reason is that if you give the right non-cash contribution, you can actually get a deduction for the value of that, that contribution, not just for what you paid for it. Now, let me give you some examples of this, and I think that will help. I'm going to actually go to page 10 in your outline. And I'm going to go down to appreciated property, item number two. And I want to clarify, give you a definition, first of all, of what long-term capital gain property is. And I'm sure most of you recognize long-term capital gain is when you buy an asset and you hold it for more than one year. So if you have an asset, and I'm going to make this an example um, like th those examples listed in paragraph two, stocks, bonds, jewelry, real property, land, depreciable property, personal cars, and furniture. I'm going to take stock. If you bought a stock for $500 over one year ago, and it's, it's appreciated to $1,000 now, and you give that stock to the church, you get a deduction for $1,000. That's more than you originally paid for that particular asset. The other beautiful thing about it is that you don't pay any tax on the appreciation of that stock. If you had sold that stock, you would have a $500 capital gain. And if you'll remember from our brackets, you, uh, you would pay about a 22% rate on that $500 of appreciation if you sold it and gave the proceeds to the church. In this case, you give the $1,000 to the church, you get a deduction for $1,000, not what you paid, and you have no capital gains on which you have to pay tax. That's why I call it a two-star deduction. It's a much greater benefit to you uh, to do that very thing. So 
<laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, the church here has made arrangements so that if you have stock to donate, you could take it to Judy Barden, uh, and she has a brokerage account already established at a local brokerage firm, and they will sell that stock in the church's name. You will receive from the church uh, an annotation for, and I'm going to talk about uh, how the church tells you what you can deduct for that transaction, but you'll receive an annotation of what that deduction is worth, which then you can support your tax return with that deduction annotation. Okay? So it's done quite often, and uh, I really would say if you have any of those assets that we've mentioned here, uh, stocks, bonds, jewelry, real property, land, depreciable property, personal cars and furniture, that would be the way to enhance your charitable deductions. The second reason I think it's a two-star deduction is this. Most of the non-cash contributions arise from assets that either we have used and, and maybe outgrown in some of our cases or are things that we don't readily use or don't want to keep. When we give them to a charity, they can turn these around and make them available for people who need them, for people who want them, and for people who will use them. So I really think it, it's a utilization of assets that we, we no longer use as donors, and it, it helps the, the case, uh, the plight of other people as well, not as fortunate as ourselves. So now that I've jumped around in this outline a little bit, let me go back uh, to the previous page. Because um, you may have noticed a lot of advertisements in recent years to donate automobiles or, or boats or even airplanes uh, to charities. It has really, uh, the charities have begun to recognize the importance of this from a tax standpoint. As a result, the IRS has begun to recognize, too, that this is being done more and more. And uh, the IRS has actually devised some new forms, and I have them in my notebook if any of you would like to see them. But uh, these are forms that uh, you as a donee are going to, re or you as a donor, are going to receive from the charity when you uh, give them that vehicle. Now, the rules are a little bit tricky for vehicles. Um, if the church takes your vehicle and sells it immediately, you're entitled to a deduction for the proceeds that the church gets for that vehicle. If the church takes your car and says, boy, this is, they won't say this, but if they think that the car is in terrible shape and they need to refurbish it before they could sell it, then they have to indicate on your, um, uh, to you that they are going to give you the fair market value of that car as it came to them. And if they choose, uh, as, as some churches do, to take that car and sell it at a lesser value or even give it to a needy family or allow it to be used in the church's ministry, they will give you a donation equal to its fair market value. Now, when I say fair market value, the IRS publication on charities says the fair market value is what a book like Kelly Blue Book would say a private dealer 
or a private individual might buy that car for. It's not necessarily what a used car lot would sell it for. It's what a private buyer would pay for that car. So that's how the contribution is, is uh, determined. The, the charity, um, once it receives that car, has to give you within 30 days of the receipt of the car or of the sale of the car an IRS form, which is called a 1089C form, on which it's going to indicate your name, address, social security, what kind of car it was, what its VIN number was, and then it's going to indicate which of those three methods it used to value your donor, uh, value for your tax return. That document then that indicates all that from the charity must be filed with your tax return. So it's important that you have that. If the car was worth less than $500, you do not have to have that form. But if the car was worth more than $500, you must have that form. Now, here's the other um, issue. If you give a non-cash contribution other than a car, the charity that you give it to has to also give you this contemporary, contemporaneous receipt for your contribution. It's called a Form 8283. And on that form, the church documents what you've given, uh, the date you've given it, your name, Social Security, and address, of course, and what the church determines the value of that to be. If that asset is from five to five hundred, I'm sorry, from five hundred to five thousand dollars, then that form too has to be filed with your tax return. If it is greater than $5,000, there's another section on that form whereby you must have an appraiser determine the value of that contribution. Now, I've heard stories where that appraiser can be your brother-in-law or your neighbor or your friend. It simply isn't true. The IRS has uh, really cracked down on that situation, and there are, an, there are severe penalties for a person to give a misappraisal on a donated value. Um, again, I'm jumping around, but if you turn to page 12, you'll see uh, in the middle of the page that a qualified appraiser has to be an individual who's certified or educated or has received some credentials for being an appraiser. He has to regularly perform those appraisals. It isn't just a once-in-the-year type deal. And he's got to have, have become an expert in that type of donation. So it isn't someone who appraises houses who can give you an appraisal on a piece of real estate. They have to be people who are, are very knowledgeable uh, about what the value of those assets are. And, of course, most importantly, the appraiser cannot have been prohibited from practicing before the IRS during the last three years. And that, of course, comes with the penalties if he has been penalized. Now, it's critical that you have this appraisal. Uh, he will have to sign the 8283 form. You can't have him do the appraisal more than 30 days before you make the contribution and it must have been completed by the date you file your tax return. 
So there's a, a period there that you've got to get this done. Um, if you have non-cash contributions of stock and the value of the stock is greater than $5,000, you can just disregard what I've said. And I want to elaborate on that. As most of you know, if you have stock, it's going to be evaluated daily in the newspaper by the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ or the over-the-counter market. The IRS is willing to accept that as an appraisal of your donation. Uh, they typically want to take the, let's say, the average for the day is what they'll use. But you do not have to have an appraiser for a stock contribution like that. So if I were looking at the two-star contributions, I would look at stock as really being the easiest to be able to donate, to get a bona fide receipt, and to get cash into the charity's hands. Now, one other issue is this. If the donation to the charity is not used for the charitable's mission. If you'll turn to uh, page 11, I'm sorry, that's not what I want to do. Um, if you'll turn to page 10, at the very bottom, unrelated use property. This involves property that we call tangible personal property. And um, many times I think of that as an asset that may have been used in business uh, that is given to a church. And uh, in this particular example that I've used, it was a painting uh, given to a church. And parenthetically, I'm going to say the painting was worth more than $5,000, according to the donor. If the church then decides that it is not going to use that in its ministry and it sells that, then the donation has to be reduced to the value of the proceeds received. Now, that's quite important because let's say the church receives it in one year and it comes about in the second year that the church decides they really don't want that hanging in the foyer anymore. They want to sell it or the church needs the cash for some reason and sells it. You've taken a deduction on your tax return for $5,100 for a painting based upon an 8283 form that the charity gave to you that said that's what it was worth. But now it's only sold for $1,500. The charity has an obligation then to send you another form, and they can do it for up to three years after that donation has been made. But it has an obligation to report to you and the IRS that that picture was only sold for $1,500. I would call that a ready invitation for the IRS to come knocking at your door. But that is the issue that you do have with items that are given to the church that really aren't used to further the church's ministry. What the individual should have done is given that painting to an art museum. The art museum probably would have valued it at $1,500 to begin with, 
but you would not have the issue that the taxpayer then has to go back and amend his return for that difference in value and probably pay interest and penalty on the extra $3,500 deduction that, the, that is now being taken away from them. It's also a caution for the church just to receive items that it can use in this ministry, of course. But it's a very important point. Do any of you have uh, inventory in your businesses or, uh, say, from a food supplement business that you might run or an Amway business or anything that you donate to charity? Okay, I'm not going to... Oh, you do. Let me just mention this. Um, when you give away inventory, uh, the deduction is limited to the smaller... I'm sorry, I'm on page 10. And paragraph B, the deduction is limited to the smaller of its fair market value on the date that you gave it or its basis. Now, basis is just another IRS speak word for the cost of purchase of something. Let's say that you have a widget that you bought for your business for $1,000. That's your cost basis. Say you sell it for $1,400. One would think that's the fair market value then of that asset. But your deduction is limited to the $1,000 that you paid for it. However, let's say that that piece, that widget has been damaged or it's two years old and there's a new style of widget available so that the fair market value, that is what you could sell it for now is only $900. Your contribution is not $1,000. It's limited to the $900. So that's kind of an unusual situation. Um, If you give depreciable assets, that is, if you have a rental property that you've depreciated, and uh, it may be $50,000 on the open market as, as to what its fair market value is, your donation has to be reduced. The 50000 has to be reduced by the depreciation that you've taken. Now, the depreciation is, is a benefit that you received while you owned that property to reduce your other taxable income. So all that means is if you had the benefit before, when you sell it, you have to reduce the, the uh, basis on that property because you had the benefit going before. So, okay, I'd like to turn over to page 11. I think this will follow the outline um, a little bit better from this point on. Um, And I'm looking here at um, item D, goods and services received. A charitable deduction is reduced by the fair market value of goods or services received from charity, just as uh, Steve, I believe, indicated. Monroe donates $1,000 to his alma mater. In return, the university sends him a hat valued at $50. The contribution then is limited to $950 because he received something of benefit in exchange. And quite often you hear this on Televangelists, they're sending you something of value in exchange. But there are some things that can be given to you in exchange that will be disregarded. Number one, if you pay a membership, if you receive a membership in an organization, 
and that membership is considered to be worth less than $75, then you get the full donation. They don't make you deduct that from the value of your donation. The other thing is where you receive goods that are insub insubstantial in value, and that's usually considered 2% of the amount contributed. So if what you receive back is 2% of is less than 2% of your contribution amount, then you won't have to reduce the contribution amount. Uh, item C has to do with donations to a university for the right to buy uh, tickets to their athletic events. The example here is that George paid $10,000 to the University of Nebraska to have the right to buy tickets on the 50-yard line. He didn't buy the tickets. This is the right to buy tickets. His deduction is 80% of that amount. The ticket price is not deductible, but the right to buy the tickets is. So, um, I want to point out one other important distinction on the bottom of page 11. I have told you, I've given you an example of the stock transaction um, where you uh, gave a $1,000 stock to the charity and what a benefit that was to you tax-wise. Uh, let's say that you bought us uh, that $500 share of stock, and like my investments usually, it's now worth $400. Do you want to give that stock to the charity and take a $400 fair market value deduction? No. If your stock has lost value, you want to sell it first because you're going to get a taxable loss for the difference between the $500 and the $400. That's going to save you 22% typically on that loss, and then you want to give the proceeds to the charity. So it's only when stock has appreciated that you want to give the stock directly to the charity. If the stock has depreciated, you want to sell it first, take the taxable loss, and then give the proceeds to the charity. So that's an important distinction. Okay, I'd like to turn over then. Um, are there questions on that? We have a small enough group that I'm happy to entertain questions. Yeah, Rich. Yes. You have not at this point. You, you cannot give the stock out of the IRA directly. You will have to, uh, the, the IRA will have to sell the stock and you would have to take the proceeds and then give it to, give the proceeds to uh, the church. Yeah, there's no way to avoid that. Now, Last year, I want to point out that you could take up to $100,000 from an IRA and you could give that directly to a charity um, and you would, uh, you would not receive a charitable contribution, but you would not have to pick that up as taxable income. Likewise, that has gone away for 2012. That is no longer possible. You cannot take money from your IRA give it directly to the charitable organization and not have it taxable to you. It will be considered taxable to you first, and then you can give it away. That's a change that's occurred. Question. Yeah. Uh, 
No, I haven't, but I'm happy to answer that. The IRS will not go back and audit uh, um, earlier than three years unless they find fraud. Now, you folks aren't going to be fraudulent. If you, if you were fraudulent people, I would tell you to keep your tax returns six years. But three years is as far back as they're going to go. Yes? Yes. Well, yes, just as uh, Wayne has mentioned, you would need to enumerate all those items and put a condition on them and then look to see what their fair market value is. Well, that's true, but they do have some inherent value in them. There are some websites uh, that do value that computer equipment. I think uh, we've used in our office, I think HP Hewlett-Packard, I think has a, they had a trade-in system where they would evaluate your used equipment. And, of course, it's not worth very much, but there are sites that will evaluate that. There are also sites that will buy your used cellular phones and if you were to give those away, they could be appraised that way, too. Now, whether the IRS will accept that, I can't assure you of that, but that would be a good start. Uh, the, the caution that he's saying is if you do donate a car to a charity, you want to be sure that that charity takes your title, too, and is, is changing the name on the title at first to the charity and then to whoever they're selling it or giving it to so that your name still remain, does not remain on the title. Um, I believe that insurance in Nebraska follows the driver rather than the vehicle, but I'm not sure of that. In the event that it did not, then the point would be uh, that if your name were still on that title and there was an accident or something, that you might have some exposure. Yeah. So that's a good caution. I, I don't know for sure. Dave? Yes. I, I think you would want to um, see them actually sign the title in your presence. and Because uh, I had somebody do that to me once, and I had to go down DMV and sign for somebody who bought a car that I thought I had sold two years earlier. Uh, so you would want to make sure that you see them sign the, uh, the um, title in your presence and also that there be a bill of sale. And um, also, if it's a charity, they would have to give you that, uh, what's the form? 80, what's the 8283, form? but now for cars, it's 1089. Okay, you need the 1089C, and if they're not going to give that to you, then you don't want to give them the car. Uh, I want to go on just briefly with a couple things, and then we'll uh, entertain some questions and still have you out here in a decent hour. Uh, on page 13, um, I'm, I'm bringing you into the present age. I'm sure that you recognize that the election is coming soon. We'll all be, we'll all be very happy about that. But um, I want to be very clear that donations to campaigns, to parties, to PACs, PACs, uh, to super PACs 
are not deductible for income tax purposes. And I also want to tell you that a corporation or a union or a nonprofit organization cannot legally make a contribution to a candidate or a party. I've had clients come in and, and have their corporations make donations, and it is illegal for a corporation to do that. So you want to be aware, of, for those of you who have corporations. Not only that, but um, if, you have, if you make a donation in excess of $5,000 to a social welfare nonprofit, they're known as 501c4s, or c4s for short, and those, those organizations are community associations, volunteer fire departments, uh, associations of employees, all of whom work for one company. If you make a contribution of over $5,000 to an organization like that, you get no deduction, and they are obligated to tell the IRS that you made that contribution. What that means is the IRS has a record of everyone who's done that, and if they look at your return and see you're taking a $5,000 uh, contribution deduction, they'll be knocking at your door. So you want to be careful that you give your contributions to authorized uh, parties, which are 501c3 organizations primarily. Um, it is also interesting to note that um, organizations like the National Rifle Association or the ACLU, to be specific, um, are not authorized to receive contributions because they are not 501c3s. However, due to their ingenuity, they have set up educational foundations which are 501c3s. So the NRA Foundation or the ACLU Foundation can receive deductible contributions, and you can deduct that, of course, yourselves. You want to be sure you're giving to the right organization before you take that deduction, is my point. And finally, on page 14 is really, I think, an opportunity for us all to multiply our contributions. One of our local 501c3s in Omaha, uh, entitled the Omaha Community Foundation, will will take it. Uh, it will take your contribution, and in the year you give the money to that entity, it will give you your charitable contribution for your tax return. But it will hold that money. It's just like a holding company. It will hold that money, and it will allow you to designate when you wish the money to go to the charity which charity you will designate, and how much you wish to go to that charity at your discretion. So uh, while it doesn't pay you interest to hold that money during the time, it gives you the deduction perhaps in a year that you need the deduction. Let's say you had a year where you got a huge bonus, and I hope you all get a huge bonus this year. But in this year, then, you might want to take that deduction, but you're not sure ultimately where you want it to go. So you give the money to the Omaha Community Foundation, and they give you a tax deduction that you claim, can claim in this year's tax return. Then you can tell them next year, well, I want $10,000 to go to Emanuel Fellowship. 
And at that time, they'll write a check out to Emmanuel Fellowship and send the money to the church. You won't get a deduction, of course, the second year. You only get it. And Emmanuel Fellowship is instructed not to give you a deduction the second year also. But the beauty of that, the beauty of this is that if you give your contribution to the OCF before December 15th of this year, they will add 10% to that contribution. So if you gave them $12,000 thinking that you were going to make a $1,000 tithe offering next year, you give it to them now, you'll get a $12,000 deduction and they will pay uh, $1,100 every month for the next year to your charity. So it's an opportunity to increase the contribution to the charity by 10%. You can do this for every different entity for which you have a federal identification number. So you can do it as an individual. If you have a corporation, you can do another one next year because they, they routinely do this in the last quarter of the year. And you can take another contribution next year. If you have a third corporation, you can take a third one the following year. Does that make sense? In other words, you can take advantage of this 10% more than once. But I just mention it because it's pertinent this year. Uh, through December 15th, you can enhance that contribution. Do you have a comment? Yes. Uh-huh. It's, it's open to either individuals or businesses, uh, businesses with a federal ID number. So it could be a corp, could be an LLC, could be a partnership. Uh, there are individuals in the community who have um, agreed to um, help the Omaha Community Foundation, and they've actually earmarked monies. They get a contribution deduction for it, of course, that the Omaha Community Foundation can use. And it's bona fide. Uh, I've done it for a couple years. It's really a nice, uh, nice uh, activity that they do. Yes. Yes. Yes, the Omaha Community Foundation will stipulate that they will only forward your monies on to 501c3 organizations. But they'll, they will allow you to stipulate it when it goes to the 501c3, what date, what amount, and they are, you can call them on the phone, and they will actually generate that check for you and then, of course, send a receipt of that to you, but it's a very good program. Finally, I just give you give you a copy of an article that was in the Wall Street Journal Saturday. Um, you know, we would like to think that the presidential election will uh, give us some stability and perhaps change our tax law, and I think you all recognize here that it's really Congress that's going to change the tax law. But uh, In this day and age where we're trying to make up for a deficit, um, it is not likely that uh, we're going to receive additional deductions. It's very likely that they're going to curtail our deductions. And I would just draw to your attention this. When we look at the itemized deduction list, we find that medical expenses are already limited 
you can only have seven and a half percent of your uh, medical in excess of that of your medical expenses deductible and you'll find that there are limitations on the AMT tax which is another income tax of sorts for taxes that you pay real estate car taxes and things like that there's a limitation on how much miscellaneous expense you can deduct as Steve has mentioned the only itemized deduction for which there is not a limitation is charitable contributions and several of the candidates have mentioned that they will limit charitable contributions so I just I just urge you to watch what happens in December after the election and hopefully Congress goes back to work in December to see what happens before the end of the year because as Wayne pointed out if you're going to get the deduction in 2012 because they're going to limit it in 2013 and I don't know that they're going to but I say if they limit it in 2013 you may want to accelerate your deduction for charitable into 2012 because it appears to me that it's pretty likely that the rules could change for charitable contributions. So that concludes my comments. Um, Yes. Okay. Right. It, it, the question is, uh, there are several questions. The question is, if they withhold, if they um, receive your contribution at the Omaha Community Foundation, is there a time limit uh, for which they're going to give you the 10%? And yes, it's between now and December 15th that they're going to give you the extra 10%. So if you put it there after December 15th, you will no longer get that until perhaps maybe next year. But if you're going to get a tax, the other question is if you're going to get a tax refund, should you invest that in stock and then give the stock to the church? Well, remember that the, the maximum two-star uh, benefit of a common stock deduction is that you must have held it at least one year. It must be long-term capital gain. So if you get your refund this year, uh, if you were going to give it in 2013, it would be wise to invest it in stock during the interim and then give that stock. But if you need the deduction this year, then uh, you will not get that break. Uh, if it's held for less than a year, and I probably wasn't real forthright on this, if that stock is held for less than a year and you donate it, you get your cost basis as a deduction amount. You do not get the fair market value. So that's a critical point. Yes, sir. Yes, there is a new tax designed to come about in 2013 
called the Medicare tax. And the, the Medicare tax rate is 3.8%. And, um, and it's not just on the sale of property. It is on interest. It is on dividends. It is on um, capital gain, of course. And I believe it is the only other income that's exempt, I believe, is W-2 and annuity income. It is, it is going to be assessed on retirement monies that you receive, too. Isn't that right? Pardon? Thank you. Yeah, it is for taxpayers right now um, who have adjusted gross income in excess of $250,000, or if they're single, in excess, adjusted gross income in excess of $200,000. So that, that's a good point. That may be a limiting factor. You may not you may not recognize that. But if you were to sell a major piece of property, it could be that your adjusted gross income for that year would go up to 250000 and you'd be subject to it. Okay. Yes. Um, if you, if today you sell a capital gain piece of property that you've held for over one year, and you remember that list we talked about, stocks, bonds, real estate, uh, things like that, today at the highest rate, uh, you'll pay 15% federal capital gains on the appreciation of that asset, and you'll pay the state rate probably at 6.84% on that, so about 22%. Um, Congress has not actually defined what the rate will be in 2013, but there is a lot of anticipation that it will go up. And I think the rate I have seen uh, used most is a 20% rate for the federal, and of course Nebraska would stay the same. Now, when you say it's going to go from 15 to 20, maybe that doesn't sound like such a big amount, but it's a 5% increase on a base of 15%. That's a 33% increase in tax rates. And so um, there are a lot of people who are considering selling capital gains property before the end of the year as a result of that. Are you going to give them the actual asset or just earmark interest for their benefit? Okay. The question is, um, if I give cash to my grandchildren, when does it become taxable to them? A gift of uh, uh, up to $13,000 a year can be given to each of your dependents, grandchildren included, there is no tax charge to them for that. There is no IRS filing that has to be made for that. Once you give them more than 13000 once you give one person more than 13000 you do have to file a gift tax return. What about the lifetime gift, a one-time lifetime gift? 
Yes, uh, you can give a one-time lifetime gift now of five million dollars and not have to uh, and not have to pay any tax. But starting in January of 2013, that drops two million dollars. So your gift's going to be limited next year. <laughs> yes, no. That's a limit for which they're going to match the the ten percent. Yep, that's the limit. Oh yes, I I think they should be. Um, uh, it's just a wonderful program, and they have a pool. I'm sure that at some point, you know, it, it may run out. So uh, if you're going to do it, I would do it quickly. Rod, you have. Okay. Uh, that's going to be covered in another seminar. I mean, you really want to talk to an investment person about that. I'm not going to. I can't really answer that. Okay. That's for. Yes. In fact, here's the way it works. You and your wife are each entitled to give 13000 to each of your sons, daughters, and grandchildren. So if you had three dependents, a son, a, a son and his wife, and a child, you could give them three times 39000 and your or 13000 which is 39000 Your wife could do the same. And that's per calendar year. That's per calendar year. Well, actually, you could, Steve. Yeah, you could make a contribution to anyone. Uh, I've just not done that. <laughs> well, I have not seen anything to that extent. I mean, the politicians are pretty careful about binding off too much. Um, and I haven't seen anything. Have you guys? Yes. Fortunately, uh, the, the local uh, government groups make the laws on real estate taxes, and uh, they would have the general public in Nebraska to answer to, I think, if they made church property taxable. Uh, so I don't foresee that happening in the Midwest. Uh, it might be on the coasts where they have such need for repairing their infrastructure. But I don't see that in the Midwest. We are one of 13 states in the U.S. that taxes all people's Social Security, their entire Social Security, and gives people no break for retirement uh, pension amounts that they receive. We're one of 13 states in the union that does that. And so there will be a great deal of pressure, I think, on our state to make those changes. We, in effect, um, are taking our executives from Valmont and from Peter Kiewit and from Conagra, and we're literally telling them, when you retire, you better go to another state where you don't pay state income taxes on your retirement monies and on your Social Security monies. And I think it's just, uh, it's just terrible that we're, in effect, shipping those people out of our state because of our tax structure here. The other thing is, I mean, we have states uh, right adjacent to us, South Dakota, that charges no income tax. Wyoming charges no income tax. 
I mean, um, we just need to be competitive with those states in that regard. So I, uh, if you remember, I remember because I was just out of college one year, I shouldn't say this, but uh, when Governor Tiemann started the state income tax, which was 1969, we didn't have a state income tax prior to that time, and we did just fine here. So I think it's possible to, uh, to go back and make that change, and I, I certainly hope we can do that. There are other taxes we could get to make up for that. So They do. Uh, South Dakota's sales tax, I think, is, I just know it's higher than here. I don't know exactly what. Um, but they also have some real favorable tax attributes to big business. And so consequently, they bring in a lot of big business employees who pay sales tax and other taxes to make up for the income tax. So I think it could be an economic benefit to our state, too, if they would do some of that. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Okay. What been taught is once something hits Congress and they start to debate it, keep your eye on, on Congress. That's why this election is so important. Uh, things that get on the table... It grinds slow, but they look like they want to take away the charitable contribution and the mortgage interest. That's a concerning item. Uh, Congress has to act, but but they react to the people too. So, so vote. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you. You have had some very good questions, and it's been a delight to talk to you. Um, I would just say that. Um, particularly when we have people coming from outside our congregation uh, to give us this information in the future. Um, you could certainly take this schedule and pass it to your friends, too. These don't have to be just Emmanuel Fellowship members that come to this. And uh, I really think there's some valuable information that's going to be shared. So would encourage you to do that. Thank you so much for being here. If we can answer any more questions afterwards, we're happy to do that.